All right. So this morning, I, I want to start a new discussion, a new conversation. I'm not sure exactly how long it's going to go. Not today. I, I have an idea of when we're going to end today. Don't worry. Um, but what I mean is like how, how far this is going to go. And, and what I want to call this, it, it's not really like a message series, although that's what it is. I'm thinking of this more like something that we have and, and develop and invite into our common language as a community. And that is reach one. And as a church, I think we're called to, to teach and to disciple everyone that allows us to, everyone that comes through. But I think what we're really called to do individually is to walk in obedience and reach that one person that God has placed in front of us. Now, this is all supposing that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that you're in right standing with him, that um, you desire godly things. And that may not be where you're at right now. And if that's true, then you came on the perfect Sunday because we're going to go backwards. We're not really going to be talking about how we reach that one person. We're going to be talking about why it's so important and why it may be very difficult. And when I say reach, I don't mean just helping them. I mean growing them closer to Jesus, bringing them closer to him so that he can adjust them, so they become believers. I mean, that's the ultimate goal. Um, and that's what we really desire for everyone. We want that to occur. And I think everyone can reach one. And I... I the, today's sermon title is, Did He Really Say That? Did He Really Say That? Because I think when we're going out into the world and into uh, work and in an environment where not everyone's a believer, we may not understand exactly what we're working with or who we're talking to or where they're coming from. And this has been a difficulty for me uh, because I was raised in the church. Because I was raised in the church, I usually think like a church person. I think that a lot of people have similar belief values, even if they don't believe the same thing as me. So I don't think this way all the time. And I think it was true 50 or 60 years ago, but it isn't true now. I think America is going the way of Europe and a lot of the other westernized world when it comes to faith and Christianity. If you go to Europe, you're going to see a lot of beautiful church buildings, and a lot of them have been renovated into bars and nightclubs and other things like that. They're no longer meetings of service. If you go around and even our community, uh, there's a church that closed its doors three, three or four months ago here. Now, they closed the doors not because there weren't enough people in the community, this is a smaller community, but they closed the doors because there weren't enough people in the church. We have a, a largely, uh, historically large population who have gone and attended Sunday services, and, and now that's kind of condensing and shrinking. And if you think of young people, a lot of them aren't attending anymore. Even some, some kids that have grown up in this church don't go anywhere now. 
Uh, they don't find their own church. They, they don't worship in that way. They may still have a belief in, in Jesus, but they're not really connected. So what I want to do this morning is, is show you in Scripture what I think is occurring. And, and uh, I, I read something this week, a book, and, and it just, I was like, okay, this is the explanation I've been looking for because I've seen, I've seen this happen, and I didn't understand what it was. And uh, if you open up Acts to Acts chapter 2, so pull out a Bible, if you will. Like, I, I know it's going to be, a lot of this is going to be on the screen, but I really want you to have a Bible in your hand so you can kind of see the context of what's happening here. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to go um, to verse 14. Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. That's page 906 if you have the Burgundy Bible. So this, the subtitle here says, Peter preaches to the crowd. Then Peter stepped forward. Okay, let me, let me just paint the picture before this happens. The church is in the upper room. The church is about 120 people. Uh, so a little more than probably what double is in here right now. And they've been in prayer for quite a while. And, they're, and when I say quite a while, I, I think it says, what is it, like three days or something? So somewhere around there. They're, they're praying, and they're waiting to see Jesus' uh, words fulfilled. So Jesus says, hey, pray for power so that you can be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and, and to the rest of the world. So wait and pray. And so they're doing that, and they don't really know what's going to happen. And the Holy Spirit falls on them, and, and flame, and wind, and all of a sudden they start speaking in other languages, and speaking in tongues, and possibly angelic languages here. And they step out on the street with this. So they go from the upper room prayer unity experience out into the street. And everybody kind of gathers around and says, this is a commotion. These people are weirdos. And then because it's a, a big holiday and people are in from out of town, they hear, they hear these people speaking in their own native tongues. And they're like, these people obviously don't know how to speak my language. How are they doing this? So the Holy Spirit has fallen on them, just like Jesus said this would happen. They're going to be given power. And so Peter steps forward and preaches this sermon. He steps forward uh, with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy, and I will cause wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke, and the sun will become dark. And so now he's going into like the end times, the far, like stuff we haven't even experienced yet. But he's talking about how this is a part of that. So it, it, it's already begun. And then he says, people of Israel, in verse 22, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you will know. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in his grip. And then he goes on to talk about how Jesus is the Messiah. And he, verse 39 says, Peter replied, they, they said, hey, what should we do? Everyone responds, oh man, we hear your words, we understand what's happening now. So what should we do? 
Verse 37 says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, I want to note that right there. Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and those far away. That's us. All who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. So you go from a church of roughly 120 to 3,000. Now you have some issues, right? <laughs> that is explosive church growth. That's amazing stuff. Okay, I want to parallel that. I want to parallel that to something that we see in Acts 17, 16 through 34. So open that up. So we're just turning a little bit to the right. Acts 17, 16 through 34. This really is, this morning, this is almost like a teaching to just help us get on the same page and understand what I think is happening in the world today. And uh, it was no different than it was back then. Acts 17, 16 through 34. And this is page 922. So Paul preaches in Athens, and he's at a place called Mars Hill. Okay? And I want to set the scene just a little bit. This, realize when we're going through these scriptures, we're talking about real people, real places, and real circumstances and real happenings. Okay? This is not something that somebody dreamed up afterwards. This is real life stuff that is documented. And so that's what we're looking at when it comes to Peter's situation and then Paul's situation. So Peter's situation, he preaches to these Jewish people that are in Jerusalem, and that's the reason they're really there, is to celebrate that. And 3,000 people come to Christ and get baptized. Paul is a preacher as well. He did not believe in Jesus, but has come to faith in Jesus because God kind of knocked him on his butt and said, wake up, now you know who I am. And Paul said, yeah, I know who you are, I'm, I'm willing to serve. And so he jumps out there, and he is, he's a missionary to the Gentiles. So the difference between Gentiles. Gentiles, everybody else who isn't Jewish is a Gentile. So most likely, you're a Gentile when it comes to that definition. And so he's in, in Athens, and he's preaching at a place called Mars Hill. And, and this is a really interesting group of people. They have idols all over the city. They have philosophers, they have different ideas, they have a mixture of religion and a lot of different thoughts and it's kind of all just a stew mixed together. And some of them are very firm in what they believe and they like to argue it. You have the Epicurean philosophers that generally believe that God existed but he was not interested or involved with humanity and the main purpose of life was pleasure. So what you have is a group of people that believe that God created the earth and then he just kind of set it spinning and walked away. All right. Then you have a group of people that are Stoic philosophers. They have the worldview that God was the world's soul and that the goal of life was to rise above all things so that one showed no emotion, either pleasure or pain. So Stoics are like that. Stoic. Everyone say Stoic. Some of you look Stoic right now. No pleasure, a little bit of pain. 
<laughs> you ever notice the people that are stoic, they have just a, it looks like they got pain, okay? So the whole goal was to just kind of become emotionless, and, and God is, is almost like Mother Earth above all things. And, and so you see these different philosophies are, are in, in interacting with each other, and they, they enjoyed getting together and discussing things, and, and they loved Love talking about new beliefs and new ideas and new science and new this and new that. So here's what we see. Verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. And he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews. So there are Jewish people there. They're in the church. And the God-fearing Gentiles. So again, people that understand this. And he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said this, what is this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. So he's causing a disruption. And they drag him out of the marketplace. They say, hey, we need to just bring you to the front of this. And this is what he says. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that in all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. And this is true. They're full of religion. They got religion coming out the ears. They have a belief system. They have a structure. They each have chosen, and there's probably a whole blend of different ideas. They've just rubbed together in a beautiful mosaic. This is where they're at, right? They have ideas of their own, and all of them have slightly different ideas. So, wait, where, what verse are we at? I got excited there. <laughs> so, verse 23, for I was walking along, and I saw many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God who you worship without knowing it is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man he created all the nations throughout the earth. And he decided beforehand when they would rise and fall and he determined their boundaries. And his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked those people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed and improved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. And that ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. And then it goes on to list a few of those people. All right. Do you see the difference of what's happening here? So, so when Paul goes and preaches in Athens, he's dealing with a completely different audience. 
When Peter preaches, he's preaching to the Jewish people who grew up with the Pentateuch. They grew up understanding Genesis. They grew up with the God's law. When he goes to Athens to the Gentiles, he is speaking to a culture that has no biblical knowledge. So at first, he strikes out. He swings and misses. But then he comes up with a plan. His plan is probably divine, Holy Spirit inspired, but it's brilliant. He sees something in, in, hey, you're religious in every way. I see that you're looking for answers. I want to provide you an answer, an explanation for everything that you see around you. So what kind of environment and world do we live in here in Arcadia, Indiana? I would say that we're in a similar situation to where Paul is. We're in a postmodern society. We're in a world where people hob and cob and nail together with glue, tic tacs, and duct tape their religious beliefs. They determine what works for them, and then that becomes their truth. And we're growing up in a culture where biblical values are not taught in schools any longer. They're not really commanded by any other authority other than the church, and some churches don't even do that very well. And so we're in a Greek culture. Is that possible? That we're in a very similar place to where Athens is. And you may say, well, I know a lot of people that believe in Jesus. And, and you probably do. And if we went out and asked the vast majority of people that are, aren't in here or aren't in any church right now, if they're believers or if they're Christians, they would say, yes, I'm a Christian because my grandma's a Christian. I'm a Christian because that's the way I was raised. That's not really the definition of a Christian. A Christian actually means a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ, a little Christ. So in order to do that, it means you have to be living the lifestyle and the belief system of Jesus Christ. Most of them are not. They may even have salvation. They've been baptized, they've been saved, but they don't have a biblical foundational belief in what the Bible says to be true. So what do I mean by that? What I mean is the reason that Peter was able to preach to the multitudes and they all got saved like that was because he was talking to the Jewish people that were already believers. They were brothers, remember? They said that, brothers, what should we do? They, they agree. They have an agreement. When, when Paul goes and speaks to the Greeks, he's talking to a different community. Now, let me just... How many of you remember the Billy Graham Crusades? Anyone? How many of you have seen the video of it? Like, you know, he had his funeral this last year and, and all that. I didn't grow up in that era, but when Billy Graham would get up and preach, thousands of people would come down and get saved, right? It was kind of like Peter doing this. We are no longer in the Billy Graham era. We aren't there anymore. We are in a system and in an era that is not the same because people don't believe the account in Genesis. They don't believe that God created the heavens and the earth. They don't have a foundational belief in that at all. What they do believe is that things just evolved, happened, and transpired, and now we're all here walking around on accident. If that is your philosophy and that is the story of your life, it's very hard for you to identify with what the Bible says because the Bible is very different. And so I've seen even people get baptized and they say they believe in Jesus, but what they're doing what they're doing is very similar to what the Greeks did. They, and even the Jewish people did this. In the Old Testament, you'll see it. They take Jesus and they add Jesus to their life like a little pin. Have you seen that before? Like, I believe in Jesus and I think Buddha's teachings are good. I'll take some of that. 
and I'll take a little bit of, you know, human uh, secularism, I'll take some of that, and I'll take some of, of science and, and, and push that in, and I'm going to do all these things, I'm going to take all of these things in, and I'm just going to become a kind of a part of this. And so I believe a lot of different things. There's a problem with that. There's a problem with that because it's not what Scripture says to do. So if you're going to claim to be a follower of Jesus, then you have to actually follow him in what he says and does. Amen? Anyone with me? All right? That's the issue. And it's not, I'm not trying to trash people. I'm not trying to lay them out or anything like this. I think we need to understand this as a church because when people come in and they don't have a faith background, they don't have a church background, they're really starting where the Greeks started. They need everything explained to them, because otherwise salvation doesn't make sense. Why do I need to be saved? Why are you concerned about my sin? Why does any of that matter? The belief system is completely different than where you were raised and what you were brought up in, if you're a believer or if you're over 50. Some of you remember uh, reading the Ten Commandments in school. Any of you? Some of you remember looking at, you know, those books. and That doesn't happen anymore. There's no foundation. And the interesting thing is the U.S. government, most Western society, is based off of the Ten Commandments when it comes to the laws of the land. But now there's a whole move to eradicate all of that history. Even if you don't believe in the Bible, they want to remove every trace of that ever existing. Why? Because it points to a biblical foundation, and the foundation is what you have to build the building on. So if you go up to somebody and you say, hey, uh, do you believe in Jesus Christ? They may say yes, but they don't believe in God the Father. They don't believe in the account in Genesis. They don't believe that everything in the Word of God is true. They don't have that same structure. So you could be having two different conversations when you're trying to witness to somebody and share your faith because they're not starting in the same place. Okay. Some of you are bored to tears, and I'm sorry. There are only two religions in the world. Some of you are like, that's not true. But think about this. There are only two religions in the world. If there's any religion that's true, there can only be two religions in the world. The one that's true and the one that isn't. All right? If there's any truth, then it has to be true all the time. It has to be true all the way through. So here's what I believe. And what I preach and what I, what I talk about and why I live this way. Because I believe that God's word is the only true religion. I think it's the only truth. Everything else that's created, hived off of, developed um, from this or from something else and turned into something else is man's religion. Everything else is man's religion. It's cobbled together. It's pieced together. It's made by man. And I actually have a biblical way of showing this, okay? So um, God's word I, I see as truth. Genesis chapter 2, that's the beginning of the Bible. Genesis, is, Genesis means beginning. So let's go to ch Genesis chapter 2. Open up the Bible. I'm not hearing it move. <laughs> I'm going to get on you. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. So page 4. <laughs> The Lord God placed man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. You are sure to die. Then God uh, made woman, amen, that's a good thing, 
he, he made all these things. And then uh, we see in chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. So Adam must have had a conversation with Eve at some point because Eve knows not to eat of the tree. So this one, one thing is laid out there. Don't do this. Um, and, and it works for a while. Verse 1, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now, notice the servant is wise, right? It's, it's a slimy guy right here, all right? Shrewdest, wisest. And, and he says, <laughs> he, he, he approaches with a question. He doesn't approach with a, a proclamation. He approaches with a question. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Is that the correct question? What should the question say if he's really trying to get at something? Did God really say you must not eat from that tree in the garden? He's saying from any of the trees, right? So he's trying to enter into a conversation here. Uh, and this is a response from Eve. Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Okay. What we read earlier is different than what we read right here because Eve said, if we even touch it. Is that added? Eve added that. Okay. Otherwise, I think it would have said that not to touch it. So maybe Adam, when he's relaying the information to Eve, is like, well, I'm going to place a safeguard around that tree. Even don't touch it. Like, don't get near it. Don't even touch it. It's dangerous. And so she repeats it back. And she is wrong in her interpretation here. But she is correct in that if she eats it, you will die. And so the serpent says, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened. And as soon as you eat it, you will be like who? God, knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced. She saw the tree. It was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it gave her. So she took from some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Those are really itchy leaves, by the way. So they covered themselves with all of that. Okay. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And then the Lord God called to the man, who are you? Where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid. I was afraid. He was ashamed. He was naked. He was ruined. And then God pronounces the judgment on them. He says, because of your sin, here's what's going to happen. Verse 14. As you have done this, you are cursed. He's talking to the serpent. More than all the animals, domestic and wild, you crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust. Verse 15, I will cause hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is a prophecy of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was pierced, he was struck down, but he crushed the head of Satan. He crushed death with victory. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And the man, he said, since you have listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I command you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. Though you will eat its grains by the sweat of your brow, 
you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. You were made from dust, and from dust you will return. So paradise is lost, right? Paradise is lost. I want, I want you to see something here, though. What did the serpent, the serpent attack? What did the serpent really attack? Their beliefs. But what was it? What did he go after? It was the word of God. Did God really say that? Did he really say that? Are you sure you have that right? Are you sure it's not just allegory? Are you sure it's not just a proverb story that's written out? Are you sure it's not just another fancy mythology? Are you sure that it's really going to happen? Certainly not. Certainly not. You see it? See, the serpent wasn't, wasn't trying, to, trying to ruin everything. Well, he was, but he wasn't trying to go at everything. He was going at God. Did he really say that? Did he really say that? He was going directly at the word of God. Why? Because the word of God created everything, right? The word of God, and when I say word of God, it's like his promise, right? The word of God spoke things into existence. The word of God spoke to Adam. The word of God breathed the breath of life into him. The word of God did all of these things. And then in the New Testament, you see that the word of God is who? Jesus. The word made flesh. That's what it said, and he dwelt among us. So what does Satan do? Does Satan say, oh, you can't believe in God? No, he says, just don't believe his word. I want you to have religion. I love religion. Religion's good. I want you to have a belief system. I want you to believe in something. I just don't want you to believe it's true. I don't want you to think that there's power in it. I don't want you to believe it completely. Because if you believe it completely, then you're going to obey him. If you believe it completely, then you have to adjust your life. If you move it around and twist it around like I like to do as a serpent, if you do that, then you can have it however you want. It is like Burger King and Jesus mixed together. Have it your way. And that's not what Scripture says. So what does Satan do? He attacks the Word of God immediately. What are we in a battle with today? Is it new? No. It's the Word of God. Well, you cannot trust it to be accurate. You have a bunch of people who are teaching biblical scholarship in universities that don't believe a lick of the Word of God, that don't believe it's true, that believe that 90% of it is made up. Why are they wasting their life talking about it? Again, the Word of God under attack. See, the devil has not changed his strategy one iota. So what we have to do as believers is we have to know the Word of God. We have to believe the Word of God. And then we have to base our ideas and our thoughts and our theology off of the Word of God. Otherwise, what we're doing is we're making a man-made religion that does have, has, has no power whatsoever to change anything or anyone. And we're just adding Jesus as like a magical potion. We're taking it and turning it into a religion. So again... Two religions in the world. You have God's word and then everything else. Because there can only be one truth and then everything else is a lie. So that's, that's where I come out when I look at scripture. Because what I've seen is I've seen a lot of science fall away. And I'm, we're continuing to see it right now. And people are going to say, well, what about carbon dating? We can talk about that some other day. But if you look it up, it changes every year. I'm telling you. 
They're starting to see fallacies in this stuff all the time. So here's what they're doing in our schools. Here's what they're doing everywhere in, in Christian schools, Christian universities. They're teaching us that, you know, God maybe created things through evolution. God maybe created these things. And I want to dissuade you away from that. I want you to examine the evidence in that, to really look at it. We're not going to have a chance to really jump into that right now. But what I want to do is look at Genesis and say, okay, if that is how it happened, then Genesis is not the true narrative of what happened. If evolution is how God designed everything to move, then Genesis is an error because evolution had thousands upon thousands upon thousands, if not millions of years of death and cellular generation and mutation to the form where we now are walking around in these meat cases that we have with these brains that fire synapses and somehow chemically can have thought and consciousness. So if that is how it happened, then Genesis is an error because in the word of God in Genesis, it says that sin did not enter into the world, death did not enter into the world until through whom? Adam. And Jesus himself says that, Adam. So did God really say that? The original sin was disobedience to God's word, wasn't it? That's what the original sin was. It was disobedience to God's word. Genesis 3.21, look at that verse right there. You have the first animal killed. Because before that, you see in Genesis that uh, God gave to Adam all the fruits of the field and all the vegetables there were, could be. And then he said he also gave those for the animals to eat. Animals didn't eat animals then. And then you have Adam sinning, and now because of his sin, he needs a covering. And what does God choose as a covering? The skin of an animal. He clothes them, and he takes the, you know, you guys shouldn't wear poison ivy as clothes. Here's some skin, some leather. Now you have to go out of the garden and live your life, and you're going to face death, and you're going to face all these difficulties. Because of that, there was a blood sacrifice for the first sin. So Jesus and communion that we talk about before all wraps together because he's the lamb of God that takes away all the sin of the world. So just like Adam was the initiator of the sin, through one man all fell, now Jesus provides us salvation. Through one man all can be saved. You see Jesus in Genesis. The problem is sometimes we want Jesus without Genesis. Or we have Jesus, but we don't understand Genesis. And this is where we have to approach others that are unbelievers because they don't know why we believe certain things. And they say, well, you're just, you know, all sin and, and, and all that. And, and I can't believe that you're a bigot in this area. And, and you don't believe in this. And you don't believe in that. And you don't like this. And if, if Jesus is so much about love, then why can't you just love everyone and accept everyone in their lifestyle and promote it and say, yay, I'm glad for you? Because... Because God had a design for humanity. And now you've walked out of it. It's not me making up stuff. It's not me saying you have to do this. In fact, God himself said, okay, you've chose sin, now you have to go live in it. You have all the free will available to you. But you also have the free will to accept Christ. But when you accept Christ, you have to accept all of it. Amen? Look, I'm thinking, think about this. You have to accept all of it. Because you cannot walk around with just a little bit of Jesus. And, oh, well, I just like Jesus, you know, but I don't like the rest of the Bible. Oh. You can't do it. Jesus is there at the beginning of Genesis, and the only way this works is if this is true. I want to I say something here, too. People that are atheists, and, and I mean true atheists, a lot of people think they are, they may not be. Atheism itself is a religion. 
So when, when our kids go to school, when my kids start learning about evolution and all this stuff, they are learning a religion. It's a religion. It's the, it's the Greek religion, but it's a religion. And here's why. Look at, you can look this up when you get home. In Webster's Dictionary, the fourth definition of religion is this. A cause, principle, or system of beliefs held to with ardor and faith. Adder and faith. So what, what is that meaning? It's a belief system that they base all of their thought off of so that they can live their life in the way that they want to live. Okay? So this teaches, atheism teaches that there isn't a God. You essentially get to rule your own life. You are a God in that fact. You know, there is no beginning, and, and, and it doesn't really matter a thousand years from now, a million years from now when we're all wiped out. That won't matter at all. It'll just be a flash. It doesn't matter. And yet, they want to say that they have, they want to hold to a moral belief. They want to hold to a dignity of some life at least. But they have no basis for it. But evolution is a basis of faith. They, it's an actual belief system. If you ask them, they study it. It's a belief system. And some atheists have been brave enough to actually say that it is a religion in essence because it's an explanation of the beginning and the end. And that's what it is. So, you have a choice in what you're going to believe. You have a choice in the system that you're going to adapt to. You have a choice and to believe it. Now, the difficulty for our kids and for everyone else out there in the Western world today is that we are inundated with this every time we turn the TV on, that this is true, 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 evolution is true, this is true, this is true, science has proved this wrong. Science has... But it all is a stack of cards, guys, because once you start digging into it, you'll find, and I've talked about this before, maybe we'll go into it next week again, species that have been extinct for three million years are found on the end of fishermen's poles all the time. Now, I'm not saying animals don't go extinct. They do. But a lot of the times, these fossils that they think are, are links to different creations and links to other species are animals that are still alive today. Okay? Now, my, my 10-year-old boy, I don't know if I share this with him, but it's the same logic I have. He's like, why, if we go to the zoo, do we see monkeys? If humans came from monkeys, why didn't they all evolve? Good question. Good question. Now, I, there is a such, there's micro and macro evolution, and one of them is just the changing of species as they continue to develop, but they stay the same species, okay? They don't turn into something else. You don't have an ant becoming uh, an anteater. This just doesn't happen. You can have different types of ants, just like you can have different types of dogs. They all share the same genetic uh, DNA. In fact, they're just being whittled down into something else, just like you can uh, create corn into something else. It doesn't change what it is. It's still corn, okay? So that, that is a different conversation altogether. Here's the issue that we have. We'll go out, we'll share Jesus with people, or we'll invite them to church, and they're in a fully Greek environment, and they don't know why it matters, okay? So someone starts having a conversation with you about scripture about the Bible or why you believe this or they're attacking something. It could be uh, your views on se human sexuality. It could be your views on abortion. It could be your views on anything. What you need to do is really not get into that argument with them, but tell them the reason why you believe the way you believe is because that the Bible says this. And when I go back to Genesis and go back to there and say, I have adapted my system to this because everyone else out there, here's how they're living their life. They've adapted all of the ideas that they've taken in to their personal belief system. You know what I'm talking about? 
So they have developed their own view of who or who God isn't, of if he exists or if he doesn't, and they've created their own religion. So you cannot argue against their religion. Don't try to do that. Instead say, here is why I believe what I believe, and show them. Show them. We're going to talk more about how to do that, and I'm sorry I got, I got way carried away here. But I woke up this morning thinking about this. I was excited about this. To be a believer, you have to believe Jesus. You have to believe the Bible. You have to believe that his word is preeminent. And you have to adjust your life to this. Now, I don't, I'm not saying don't struggle with it. Don't look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. Struggle with it. Because I guarantee you, if you're faithful in that struggle, you will come out in the same place. I, I want to point this out. In the, in the Garden of Eden, you had the serpent who twisted God's word, confused it, and contradicted it. You have Eve who added, subtracted, mishandled, and doubted because she ate of the fruit, right? You have Adam who knew but disobeyed. And now it's placed into our court with what we're going to do with it. I want you to be godly with it. I want you to have a respect, a love, and desire, and I want you to grow in the Word of God because you cannot trust me to say everything correctly. You cannot trust anyone you turn on TV to have it right because the truth is if we get one little thing wrong and you just buy it all hook and sinker and you don't look into the Word of God on your own and you don't examine the evidence on your own, you're missing the point of the availability of holding this in our hands. You're missing the huge privilege that we have to, to have such easy access to the Word of God. And I don't want that for you. I want the Holy Spirit to teach you and guide you, to instruct you in all truth, and to say, you know, set that thing off that goes, yeah, that, what he's saying is right. What, what he's saying isn't right. Whatever it is, allow God to speak to you through that. Don't allow the serpent to get in your head and twist things around. Amen? So next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about this. I, I only got through half a page of notes. <laughs> but... But this, this makes sense to me because I see it in believers' lives and I see it out in the world. And, and I want you to be able to reach people with the gospel. I want you to be able to have conversations that help people, not arguments, not arguments, not conversations of differing values. But if you can explain to people, hey, the reason I believe this is because of this, then you have something to point to. A lot of the times, again, if you ask them why do they believe what they believe, they're going to be saying, well, because I've just kind of gathered all this information problem with that is you're talking to a human person that hasn't been around for thousands and thousands of years. You're talking to a fallible person. All you have to do is ask them, have you ever made a mistake? Yeah. Well, then you could be making a mistake right now. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for, for your word. And, and Lord, I pray that you would speak to your people, that you would help them to understand the culture that we live in. Um, God, we're not called to attack the culture, and that's not my goal right now. My goal isn't to attack it, to ridicule it, or anything else. It's just to shine a light on it so that we know what we're dealing with. Lord, you haven't called us to, to run away and, and form some cultish Christian community where people, we don't have to deal with anyone who doesn't believe. That isn't what we're doing at all. We're, we want to be like Paul. We want to be like Paul who's in the middle of the marketplace wherever we work sharing the gospel. We want to be like uh, Peter who proclaims when the Holy Spirit tells us to. We want to be people that are people of faith and have a basis for why we believe what we believe and we can answer for what it is. 
that we believe. Peter told us that, that we're to, to have an answer for those that ask, that we're to have an answer for the hope that is within us. And, and Lord, we do. We, we know what God has done for us, but some people will just say, hey, that's, that's good for you. And that won't work for me. Lord, help us to realize that what they need attached to that is the truth, an explanation, and a basis for the world. God, you created the world. Something had to start it. Something outside of it had to start it. It couldn't start itself. And we believe that was you. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And we see that in Genesis. They're all there. And then we go turn to John and the first gospel, and we see it there too. So Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just say, well, you know, Jesus is enough. We know Jesus is enough for our salvation, but we want to have an answer for those who do not believe, so they at least have to wrestle with these thoughts. I pray that you would embolden us to do that, that we would dig into your word, we would look at scripture, we would see how the Old Testament and the New Testament attached, they're not separate. We thank you for the word of God, in Jesus' name, amen. You can stand.
So I don't, I don't want to come across as critical or, or knowing at all. In fact, I'm saying quite the opposite. I don't know at all. I can't figure this all out on myself. I need the scripture to guide me. And I, I want to say that there are brothers and believers in Christ who believe in evolution, that believe in those types of things. The difficulty I see of it is you're building a house without a foundation. That's what I see in it. And I've had these questions for years because I went to school and I was taught these things. And, and I had to, to look at the Word of God, match it up with what the evidence that I can see in the reality of the world, and then also look at where these philosophies take you, okay? Where does it take you to believe what the world teaches you? It, te it teaches you uh, moral ambivalence. It teaches you that we kind of make up our own rules as we go along, and there's no, nothing overriding us, really. And there's no real explanation for creation at all, if you think about it. Like, there, you know, what created us out of nothing? Well, the scripture says God was outside of it. He created the ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. He spoke it into existence. So that's what the Word of God teaches us. And uh, I want you to, to examine the evidence. Look at it yourself. Read about it yourself. Look into it. Let's pray. Lord, um, I know there's probably some people in here that, that have either walked away from you or not walking with you right now. And I pray for them right now that you would re reveal your truth to them through the, your Holy Spirit. Maybe they... This is asking some questions that they've had themselves. Lord, I know people are turning away from the faith because they don't have a foundation to base it off of. They have feelings, they have emotions, they have a belief, but if that's constantly attacked, just like the serpent attacked and twisted, then what's left? Lord, I pray over them right now. And if there's anyone here in the room right now that that's where you're at, but you're searching for God, I want you to raise your hand right now. That's where you're at, but you're, you're interested in finding out if God is real. I want you to raise your hand. All right. If you're like me, and you don't have all the answers, but you're desperately trying to understand the word of God, raise your hand. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray over you and bless you right now. Thank you, Jesus, for the people that are in here. And thank you for the revelation of your word that you have given us through your spirit and through teachers and through the apostles that we see. Lord, I thank you that our belief system is not 150 to 200 years old. It's not based on something that we know will have to change once more evidence is seen. Instead, it is the word of God. And I fully believe that as time marches on and science advances, more and more of it will be proven. We've seen it already. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that all truth is God's truth. And I pray that you would reveal that in our hearts and minds. And Lord, as we go out into the world, I ask that you would help us be like Jesus. That you would help us have love for others. And, and Lord, not that we would be looking to pick a fight with people that believe differently, but we would have compassion on them like Paul did. We would have compassion for them like Peter did. We would have compassion like Jesus does. Help us to realize that God wants so many more of his people to know him. You want so many more children, but until they decide to do that, they're not. They're not ready. God, I pray that you would bless us throughout this week. Lord, help us to be safe this long weekend. Help us to have a great Monday tomorrow and rejoice in who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Amen. God bless you.
Yeah. 